Welcome to this latest edition of The Real Deal Podcast, episode 760. I'm your host, Surreal Joe Quinn, on this 22nd of February, 2021. A lot to discuss here. I uh, hope everybody out there enjoyed their weekend. Uh, again, we continue to see on the East Coast. Well, not, I shouldn't speak on the whole entire East Coast, but at least the DMV get these fake snowstorms, which, you know, yeah. yeah, listen, I think God just knows that DC can't handle snow. So he gives us, gives us, you know, a half inch, two inches, some, some, you know, a little sprinkle. He knows we can't handle snow, but, uh, you know, unlike the Northeast Philadelphia, New York, Boston, just gets, has gotten bombarded by snow, Connecticut over the last couple of weeks, but, um, seemingly, you know, should be warming up this week. Uh, so uh, hopefully we're looking forward to that. Uh, we're going to begin uh, away from the sports uh, with this with this first uh, article. And very something very important happened yesterday. You had the, of course, yesterday marks the anniversary, uh, the 56th anniversary of the assassination of one Malcolm X, who, of course, was killed in the uh, auto bomb in Harlem. Um, growing up, um, you get the textbook narrative of this, you know, Malcolm X was killed by his own people. You know, you read the autobiography of Malcolm X, he go, you know, takes, takes the trip to Mecca. He completely shifts his whole mindset in terms of what, you know, he, what he thought that the religion was about. Um, in terms of just not being exclusive for black men, he goes over to Mecca and sees that there were you know white white people, sir, white people, you know, um, white Muslims and Muslims of all, uh, you know, of all um, backgrounds, and you you get fit. And again, true story. Uh, all again, all of the you know you read all biography, you watch the movie. And then you kind of things kind of connect. Well, yeah, of course, that's why his own people killed him because he was speaking, he was going against what they thought, you know, uh, what he what his initial views were when he was at the height of his powers, uh, uh, when he was at the highest of his powers. And then this happens: you get an officer or a former officer in Raymond Wood who was sent in to infiltrate um, was, uh, you know, Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm X, and, and the whole group of Muslims uh, back in, of course, back in the 60s. And, you know, of course, he goes there. He has uh, Malcolm X's, you know, he, he turns over information that leads to Malcolm X's security not being available the day, the day that he was shot and killed. They got, they get arrested for some, you know, bullshit charge um and he you know can't of course he cannot live with this he can he absolutely just you know there was a line in the wire um uh, the one butchie butchie said conscience do cost well clearly is this guy's conscience a at him for you know 40 plus years up until his up until you know up until he died and he comes out with this letter and it gives us another uh, uh, a perspective, another perspective. And it gives us basically what 
what a lot of people had thought to begin with, and that was, of course, that the FBI and the New York NYPD Police Department conspired to kill and assassinate uh, Malcolm X. So I don't know what is going to have come about, come up, come of this. As far as yeah, I, I doubt that there'll be there's going to be justice for the family. Can't bring him, you know. Then you know Malcolm X is not coming back, and those dog, you know, his he has you know six kids. Those so six kids still don't have a father. And uh, but what I will say, and the reason why this is important, is it forces us to now, especially you know, if you're thirty, if you're forty and under, especially if you're my age and under, if you even are somebody who has an interest in history, forces us to now stray away from this textbook narrative that's been shoved down our throats when we were going to school and throughout the course of the last 40 and 50 years. And now we can do some digging of our own. Uh, I'm, I'm in a process. Now I, I got so many books that I need to get done before I get to it, but I do have, I have a book uh, called the, the shield and the short, the shield, the shield and the sword. Um, that depicts the lives of Michael Max and uh, Martin Luther King. I'm looking forward to reading it. And, uh, you know, this, again, I just, you can't emphasize how, how important this was that this information came out. Um, we are in a, you know, we are in a shift change in society. Uh, some people call it the third, the, the third reconstruction in regards to where this country is going. And I think that, you know, for me, we have to, we have to rewrite the, we have to rewrite this narrative of our history. Because it, to me, fuck, fuck the textbooks. And I say that in the real, I'm, you're speaking to somebody who's, who's been in education for 18 years, fuck the textbooks. Textbooks are not giving us a real depiction of, of what transpired. So, you know, you have to, especially as a black man, I mean, you have to educate the youth on like, no, it didn't go down like this. Read this book, look at this article, go look at this, this, you know, uh, this documentary, that documentary. You have to do, you have to do your own research. And that's the bottom line. You have to do your own research. We know for years upon years, century upon century, that this country has been living uh, a lie, that this nation, that this country has been living a lie, for, especially when it comes to African-Americans and the African-American story. So it, it's got to a point uh, where, you know, we have to rewrite our own history. And again, you can only rewrite your, you can't rewrite your own history if you don't understand what, to, you know, how you got there. It's just, it's just not going to happen. And you have to understand what actually happened, what actually transpired. Now, again, I don't expect much, to, you know, I don't expect much to come out, come out as far as the investigations go. A lot of those documents were destroyed. A lot of important information that, that would have been vital in terms of getting justice probably have been destroyed um, for years. I mean, especially by the likes of, you know, say, a Jack or Hoover. So I, I, I'm not even concerned about that from that standpoint. Uh, hopefully this provides some type of closure for the family. I, I doubt that it will, that it will provide a complete closure, but 
you know, I, you know, hopefully you can block it, it. You know, hopefully they can somewhat rest easy uh, in terms of what, because of what transpired yesterday. But um, the more important part is, I think this will, this will hopefully force more digging by, you know, society, by a future, by, by a future generation, by a generation, a generation coming up. Uh, so, Again, there's a lot. You know, you're gonna see a lot of stuff come out about this. Um, there's certainly a number of books that have been written about Malcolm X. Number of documentaries. Documentaries. I would. Um, Netflix has one that's currently running right now. Uh, in terms of you know, ask the question who killed that Malcolm X is on. It's like a six part series that I would encourage anyone to watch. Um, and then certainly a number of books and literature that you can read about it. We shift towards the we you know segue to the to the NBA, uh, a busy busy weekend in the NBA, busy last past week in terms of the NBA. Um, we see COVID uh, hitting again, so the Spurs and Hornets are going to have five games postponed between them. The Spurs had the Spurs uh, had four players test positive for COVID. And the Spurs actually have been playing well this season. They are, I think, last time last time I checked, they were sixth in the West, had a record of 16-11. They actually, um, Popovich has done a phenomenal job this year with that team uh, in the Western Conference, and they were certainly on their way to making the playoffs. So you see that, go, you know, of course it's not a surprise that COVID strikes, you know, COVID has, you know, is is done damage throughout the course of this NBA season, throughout the course of this uh, the sports season and all the professional sports leagues and sports leagues around the world. The point is, though, the idea that, again, that the NBA is going to try, is going to do this all-star, is, is going to go through with this all-star game come March 7th. It, it's just, you know, <laughs> like, it is, it's, it's just, it's, it's amazing to me. I mean, I, I just think that, You know, guys can take all the precautions in the world. Can do what you can do what's right, and can still come up with COVID. And you're going to Atlanta, a place that is wide open, and you are putting it. You're, you're like you're you're putting it on the players to stay out the clubs, to to have that level of discipline, even just for one night, even for just one night. I, I mean, you know. That is, I'm telling you right now, there are going to be a number of cases that come out of just that, just that one night uh, in terms of COVID cases with Foss all weekend. I'm telling you that right now. If you think these players are going to stay in the hotel, even just for one night, or even wherever they, or some of them might even have houses in Atlanta, if you think those these players are not going to be out when uh, when you have a city that is wide open. It's one thing if there was nothing to do in Atlanta. I, I mean, yeah, I don't think that they should have an all-star game, period. Right? But just name the team and, and you know, and, and go about their business. But, of course, we know it's a money grab. They want every dollar known to man uh, with no fans this season and with money that was lost from, from last season having no fans and all the money they had to fork out for the bubble down in Orlando. But... Um, you there's no like there's no way that uh that that those cases cases are not going to rise uh from that all-star game in uh, in atlanta i mean 
there, Atlanta is wide open. You know, places like Atlanta, places like Houston, you know, those places are wide open, to say the least. Florida, I mean, those are the three, three of the hot spots around the country, in the country. So, again, you know, hopefully, hopefully, you see minor uh, cases, you know, minor cases come out of that, but um, I, you just got to be realistic. I, I just don't see how, you know, how there's not going to be a spike in cases in NBA, within the NBA circle uh, playing an all-star game in Atlanta. Big week for the Nets. Uh, the Nets sweep, not only sweep the, sweep the LA uh, Lakers and um, Clippers. That was, that was a great game last night. But they sweep their West Coast, the entire West Coast road trip. They go 5-0. and uh, They've won six straight. They are second in the Eastern Conference. They're right on the heels of the Philadelphia 76ers. And, you know, I, I, talked a, I talked a lot of shit about the Nets, about what everything that could possibly go wrong with the chemistry, with, you know, injuries and things of that nature. We didn't talk about the reverse of that. We didn't talk about what would happen if everything went right and you are seeing what could possibly transpire with everything going right because that team and again this is without Kevin Durant which I think to me has been you know somewhat of a a blessing in the sky to allow Kyrie Irving and James Harden to uh solidify their chemistry and they have been rolling they toyed again I know the Lakers didn't have Anthony Davis but still I mean they toyed with the Lakers on Thursday night it's absolutely toyed with them Clippers were playing well coming to that game. They basically controlled that game from start to finish. And they can get any shot they want at any time. They can get any shot, any shot. Even the defense has picked up a little bit. And again, they don't remember, folks, they don't have to be a great defensive team to win a championship. They don't. They can be, if they're, if they're like middle of the pack, as a matter of fact, if they're like, you know, in the 15 to 20 range, their offense is so lethal. And they get, they get whatever, they get now, they get whatever shots they want. They get open shots. These guys like Joe Harris, uh, Jeff Green, these guys are getting wide open shots. And they can make open shots. Those guys, Jeff Green, the, the Joe Harris, of course, is a lethal super shooter. Those guys can make wide open shots. I mean, wide open shots. Say what you want about Kyrie Irving. Kyrie has, has come back off his tobacco. He's played great. I don't want to hear about his shot selection when he, when the guy is averaging 28, shooting over 50% from the floor and 50, well, 53% from the floor and, and over 40% from the uh, three-point line. And, and it hasn't and basically doesn't miss free throws. And you know, you gotta give Harden credit. Uh a little credit, not a lot. But a little credit for, you know, basically, for basically sacrificing and wanting, you know, saying, "Hey, I'll be the point guard and I'll take less shots," and he's done that and he's been he's played great. Now, with that being said, I, I don't want to hear anything about James Harden being an MVP candidate. That what he did in Houston, beginning of the season, cannot be erased at all. That's still on his record for twenty twenty for the for the 2020 2021 season and yeah that doesn't you don't he create a toxic culture you don't get that erased from your record period so that 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 you know I, again 
he'll be on all NBA team. He'll be an all star. But I don't want to hear any talk about uh, James Harden for uh, for MVP. But right now, that again, that team is rolling. All all they really need is is, is a, a rebounded defender in the middle. I mean, not even. I mean, it would be it, was, it wouldn't even be fair to got Andre Drummond. But they don't even need somebody. They I mean, they get a, a Tristan Thompson like player. Uh, they get a banger like that. I mean, they'll be fine. I mean, even somebody like a uh, you know Stephen Adams, that type of player. Somebody that can just just get rebounds and you know play some good decent position defense. Uh, this past week, we've seen um, what aggressive Ben Simmons looks like, and and which I which has to frustrate you if you're a Philadelphia fan. You have to be saying to yourself, where has this been for the last three years, and why can't this be a every night occurrence? Um, but we look, he had you know so. He has a game against Utah where he has a 42-point triple-double, no MB. Last night with MB in a game that they lost to um, um, to Toronto, who's who's playing great right now. He has 20. He has 28, which is more important. Honestly, I think that game against last night was actually more important than the Utah performance because it's one thing for him to perform and be aggressive without without MB there. But if the Sixers want to contend for the championship, they're going to need aggressive Ben Simmons with Embiid uh, in the lineup. But again, aggressive, playing right now, aggressive Ben Simmons is a legit top five, between top five, top eight player. He really, I mean, he really is. Because what he he does defensively can't, like you can't even, you know, tabulate what he does in the box scores of what he does defensively. Like right now, I can make a case for him being the best perimeter defense player in the league. I mean, he's a legit top three defensive player in the league right now. Maybe you got Gobert. Probably maybe Gobert. And I mean, right now, I could put outside of Gobert, if I had, I probably would have him second behind Gobert for defensive player of the year, to be honest with you. He's been that good. He's been that, that great this year defensively. So again, that trade is still out there, though. That trade, I mean, the Bradley Bill trade, it still could be a possibility. Don't 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 think that that you know that. Don't be shocked. As much as they say they love Ben Simmons, don't be shocked if that move is made. Don't be shocked. That's still out there, especially where Ben Simmons is playing right now. Uh, we see Zion Williamson, who. You know, came into came into the season with with some question marks um, regards to his weight, of course, and regards to durability, and regards to um, his impact on winning. And you know, this year up until this point, you know, he's basically been basically been twenty five seven and shooting over sixty percent from the field. Um, I want you know, listen. I think. And they had, by the way, that was a that was a dreadful loss for, for the Celtics. I mean, to, to get outscored, I think they got outscored somebody forty nine to fifteen. It was it was an embarrassing loss for the Celtics. There's no way you're up by twenty four in the second half. You should ever lose a game, uh, uh, a NBA game, uh, up by that many points in the second half. 
Um, one thing in the first quarter, but in the second half, there's no way they should lose that game. But the Celtics, we all know, have their own issues. What's interesting with Zion, um, I still don't think that they go out their way. They, they're starting to become, they're starting to get better with it, but they, I, I think it's gotten to a point where you need to run, you need to completely run your offense through him, to be honest with you. He's a willing passer. He doesn't force, he doesn't force shots. He takes, he takes great shots. His shot selection is, I mean, he's literally one of the best right now in terms of shot selection. He only, he's only going to take shots that he can make. He's not, he does not take bad shots at all. But you would like to see him get to the line more. Um, I think if they went out, they went out their way to get him the ball. I think he could he could average thirty points easily, easily to be honest with you. And there's still times late in games where I don't think they go to him. Now again, Ingram is a very good player. Was All Star last year. Um, will be in a running for the for a reserve spot this year though. I though if anybody gets it on that team, it'll probably be will be Zion. Um, but. Uh, you know, I want to see. I, I want to see them even uh, feature him that much more in the offense, uh, in their offense, because he's their best player. I mean, like he, you know, I like Ingram a lot, but he is he is clearly their best player, and be, that's gonna be an interesting team to watch. Because right, right now, I don't think they're. I, I, I frankly don't think they're well coached. To be honest with you, I think Van, you know, Van Gundy was supposed to, Stan Van Gundy was supposed to come in and instill this somewhat defensive identity and they've been, you know, they, you know, night in and night out, they, you know, the Hornets, not the Hornets, they give up a zillion points. I mean, they, they are terrible defensively. I mean, they're one of these teams um, where they, you know, you watch every, you watch every game because you want to see Zion, but you also watch every game because you know, it's going to score is going to be around in the one twenties and one thirties. It just, you know, they are, you know, they're not, it's just a bad defensive team. Um, as far as the MVP, so a lot of talk has been about the MVP, and it's, I guess it's gotten because this is a condensed season, seventy-two games. I guess we can kind of start looking at the MVP, even though I, you know, I, I, I wait until break, basically the last minute uh, to look at the MVP, not the last minute, but at least you know, at least, at least middle of March. But you know, the season seventy-two is ten games less. Right now, I, I really I, I think that Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid has been the best player in the league. I think if the vote was taken right now, LeBron probably would win. But there's there's this narrative that is pushing LeBron to be the winner, and there's it's kind of like a narrative where how dare you give it to anybody else but LeBron? And I don't think that that should be the case. <laughs> um, if you're being fair and objective about the award, I don't think the media owes LeBron an MVP. Um, I think he, you know, he has four already, and you know that that I mean that that race is going to be it's going to be a tight race, you know, with between him and Embiid and and Jokic, and you know even guy like Damian Lillard should be should be mentioned. It should be in the mix if you know just like Curry could be in the mix as well. If, if Golden State has hits a hot streak, so I think you know if you're the media, you don't owe LeBron an MVP uh, MVP award. I mean, you, you really don't. I hope 
I hope that's not the reason why I like, like, you know, if Joel Embiid goes out there, averages basically 30 and 12, shoots, you know, has the number one PER, and the Sixers, you know, have the best record in the East, and their record is is right there with the Lakers. I, Joel Embiid should be MVP. But you get the feeling that Joel Embiid is probably, probably at the average like 33 and 14 and Sixers would have to have probably the best record in the league. You get the feeling that that's going to have to have to happen in order for uh, LeBron to get his MVP. Low, the Lakers have dropped, have dropped two straight um, following, following Anthony Davis's uh, injury. Uh, so it would be very interesting to see how in the schedule, the schedule is going to get harder. So, very serious to see how they navigate these next six or seven games or next eight, next nine or ten games without uh, without MB, Anthony Davis. But this MVP, this is going to be a very talked about polarizing MVP race. Make no mistake about it. It's going to be a very tight and very closely contested MVP race. Didn't get to talk about it last week. Happened towards the latter part of the week. Um, of course, Carson Wentz is now a Indianapolis Colt. Um, they get a third round pick in 2021. Eagles get a third round pick in 2021 and a conditional pick in 2022. I mean, meaning to cause them, the Colts make the playoffs this year that that pick can turn into possibly a, turn into a first round pick. And again, it just shows you how far Carson Wentz's stature has fallen to where, I mean, you know, a third and a conditional, uh, basically a, th- a third and a possible first for, you know, for a guy who I thought should have been MVP in 2017, a guy who was once looked upon as being one of the bright young stars at the position. Um, and I did, I did not hear a lot of suitors for Carson Wentz. With that being said, um, I, I, like I think Indianapolis is going to absolutely is going to absolutely uh, win this trade in a major way because Indianapolis is a that state that city that state is a despite the fact despite the fact of the history with, with Peyton Manning winning a Super Bowl and all the great years he had there that is a basketball state through and through. They don't have fans. I mean, they love the Pacers. They love the Hoosiers. They love Purdue. They love, of course, high school basketball. Out there is legendary. That is not a foot. That is not a football town. And that is a perfect, perfect fit for a guy who seemingly just can't deal with the big pressure of a big city, especially like I said, like a Philadelphia, like a Boston, like a New York. I think he's going to flourish there. To be honest with you, he can stay healthy. This has been a question mark throughout the course of his career. If he can stay healthy, I think he's going to flourish here under under Frank Wright. And again, a lot of things could like so. Indianapolis could solve their quarterback issue and could be a Super Bowl contender. And Doug Peterson could be a coach, a Super Bowl coach, who will be who could be hard, who's going to be hard pressed to find a to find a job. Uh, in the next couple of years, if Frank Wright goes out there and gets Carson Wentz back to the quarterback that he once was. Because then people will say, well, they won that Super Bowl because of 
Frank Wright, not because of uh, Doug Peterson. And they'll look at Doug Peterson's record um, without Frank Wright. And they'll look at it and be like, well, he was, he was basically average to mediocre. How much, that, how much does that Super Bowl really mean? So a lot of things are going to come in play uh, with uh, with this trade. Um, but again, I, I think I absolutely think Indianapolis won this trade. Not first of all, not they did not give a lot for a guy who I'm sure they think is a franchise quarterback. That's not a lot. It's not a lot of capital at all to give up to give up for a, a guy that's going to be starting and a guy who you know is still is still young. Beyond a beyond an excellent offensive line, great running game. Yeah, they could use another receiver, but you know you have a uh, T.Y. Hilton has proven to be a Pro Bowl caliber receiver for the past few uh, four or five years, and maybe even longer than that because I I had him on fancy teams back in the day. But guy, but again, this this is a small city. They call it, they, listen, they call Indianapolis Naptown. This, this, he is perfect for this city. Um, so I, I think I think Carson Wentz will, will bounce back into being, into being, I don't think he'll ever be one of the top quarterbacks in the league. I'm not saying that, but I think he will bounce back into being a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback in this system with, with under Frank Wright. A couple of things um, you saw, if you watched the Australian Open, you saw in the women's game or the ladies game, a changing of the guard. Uh, Naomi Asaka, she is the uh, Asaka, excuse me. She, she is the new queen of, of women's tennis. She took apart um, beat Serena in semifinals and straight sets and then won, won the final easily um and she you know her fourth her fourth major second australian open she has a couple of uh u.s opens and it's a matter of time before she wins the other two grand slam it's only i wouldn't be surprised if she if she won them this year to be honest with you she's she's gonna be around for a while she's 23 years old and you know humble hardworking, um very complimentary of of course serena williams serena williams was, was her idol growing up and you know, I, I tweeted this last week. I said, "Yeah, I'll be rude for Serena, but, but yeah, but you know what? Tennis, you know, tennis is a young, tennis is a young person sport for the most part. What Serena has been doing, what Serena, what Serena has done, what Federer, what Djokovic and Nadal, what those guys, what those players did, it's just something that you just would probably will never see again. And just it is, it's, it's just something that is rare beyond in the, in the game of tennis. Tennis has been traditionally for the next, you know, you know, has been a traditionally for, for for players under the age of 25, under the age of 28, definitely under the age of 30. Uh, Serena has 30, Serena is 39 years old. And I don't think it's a matter of, you know, her being a mother. I just think it's a matter of just she's old. <laughs> I mean, at some point, at some point. You know the wheels are going to come off, and you know there there women there are ladies out there who hit the ball harder. She does over she does you know she does over overwhelm you with power anymore. They can return her serve. The serve isn't what it used to be. 
And again, it was going to happen. At a certain point, I was impressed the fact that she got to the semifinals. And she's gotten to a few finals in the last couple of years of the, of the majors these past two or three years. Remember, you know, 2015, when she won three out of four majors, that's a long time ago. It's a long time ago when she was at the top of the sport. So I, I, I don't foresee her winning another major. Um, and I, I think she knows it's over. Uh, you saw at the press conference, you know, breaking, you know, basically break, breaking down. I think I, if I predict it, I think she'll go through all the majors, play. I think she will play all the majors one last time and have a Andre Agassi-like retirement at the U.S. Open come uh, September. Uh, that was, and it would be a perfect way, perfect way for her to go out. That was the beginning. That was the start of her dominance. Uh, she won her first Grand Slam there in 1999. And I think that that will be a perfect ending to her career uh, at the 2021 uh, U.S. Open. So I think that she will officially retire at the end of the year. Uh, she's got a lot of pride. She's not going to hang on and be the 150th ranked uh, player in the world. That's not Serena Williams. You're not going to see Serena Williams getting eliminated in the first round of tournaments or getting beat by by girls who don't belong in the same sentence as her. Uh, it's just not going to happen. She, she's like she's way she's way too competitive. She just has too much pride for that. It's not going to hang around like that. So I, I think that this will be it for her this year. Um, as far as Novak Djokovic goes. He's gonna be kicking himself based on the fact that he should have 19 majors. Of course, he got he got disqualified from the U.S. Open for accidentally hitting the tennis, the lines, the lines person, which you know, of course he lost his temper and did pull one of his moves that he would have pulled when earlier in his career. That cost him a major, but he he is just too shy, two majors shy of 20, uh, of catching Nadal, Federer, and Nadal. Uh, Nadal will be the favorite, of course, at the French Open for as he tries to get that that twenty first major to pass Federer. But again, it's everything is you know everything is lined up for Djokovic to to finish to to finish number one all time in, in majors. Everything's lined up. Federer is will be this forty this year, and who knows what? I mean, I don't know what Federer has left. I mean, I, I feel like feeling the same way about him as I do about Serena. Like they probably uh, they're no, probably no more majors left in that racket. Nadal, I don't know. We'll see if, if Nadal doesn't win the French Open this year. That'll tell you that that might be a sign that he's that he could be done. If he doesn't win the French Open this year, because that that's, that has been he's had that tournament on automatic for the better part of the last decade. So that'll be a telling sign. So it's, I, basically, it's going to come down between Djokovic and Nadal. In regards to who's going to finish number one all time in terms of may in terms of major uh, titles won, um, you saw. I, I'm sure most of you saw last night or yesterday the video that came out with Cam Newton and the young man at this uh, seven on seven tournament. Um, again, listen. So to give you, you know, give you some background, some some context on it. Um, Young, you know, fifteen-year-old football player was, you know, trash talking Cam Newton, saying, "You're gonna be poor. Um, 
I guess anticipating Cam Newton's not going to have a job next year, which you know, I, you know, we'll see about we'll see how that, how that transpires. But you know, Cam handled it well um, as well as he could possibly handle it, saying, "Who's your dad? I'm rich," um, and what have you. I listen. I've seen Cam Newton around children in the past, but when he first came in the league, and that Cam Newton that I saw would have handled that situation a whole lot different. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that. So he's come a long way from that standpoint in terms of uh, in terms of maturing, uh, maturing. But I guess the, the thing that, that you know, in, you know, we can try. You can trash a young man all you want. Hey, listen, on a, I work with kids every day for the last eighteen years. On a grand, on a scale of one to ten, as far as disrespect, that was about a five, maybe even a four and a half. It was a playful disrespect. It wasn't like this kid needs his ass beat disrespect. The level, the levels of disrespect, and the young man apologized, and certainly I hope Cam Newton pulled the young man aside, and it could be, it could definitely be a teaching moment. The big thing I took away, took from that, was the fact that Cam Newton's, you know, his standing, of course, in the NFL has fallen, but now that has translated and spilled over into where he's not even respected by, you know, teenagers or upcoming football players anymore. I mean, you think two years ago that that dude, would, that, the young man, that young man would have said that to Cam Newton? I mean, you think of, think about that. Like, this dude was, this, this dude, this teenager was clowning Cam Newton, clowning Cam Newton. Not asking for his autograph, not saying, hey, could you sign these shoes? Not saying, yo, I got a poster you know, on my on my room in my in my room. I'm a big fan. You're my favorite quarterback. No, 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 no. Making clowning you, basically saying that you're done. Basically saying that you are done. This is a kid. This is not even a reporter. This is not ESPN. This is not, you know, uh, NFL beat reporters. No, this is a 15-year-old teenager. Leaving Cam Newton for dead, basically. And I and listen, I can't get in Cam Newton's heart or his head, but I, I if I were to guess, that had that had that had to hurt. I mean, that like when you know kids have been look, looking up looking up to you for the past basically past decade, even going back when you were at Auburn, to get to that point to where you were the MVP, to where now you're being clowned. By by a a fifteen year old at a seven on seven tournament, seven on seven tournament, that's uh, it's almost as about as low as it can go. I mean, it can definitely could get worse. Um, He still has a lot of money. He's still in the league, but that is a that's that's, uh, that is a um, that's a tough deal for Cam Newton. That is a tough pill to swallow. It's one thing to be doubted by the media. And to be doubted by grown, grown ass fans like myself, but to be doubted by the youth, uh, that's a whole nother level of, 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 of just, you know, I want to, you know, I, dare I say in, embarrassment. It's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal podcast. Um, snowfall on Wednesday, season four. It'd be very interesting, interesting to see how that, see what happens. I possibly, We'll be doing a snowfall recap. That is that's 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 in the works. So be on the lookout for that. Um, I will see you later on in the week with the Real Deal podcast.
have a great Monday evening. As always, you can catch, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Um, click on the comment. You can also comment on episodes, comment on the content. I appreciate all your, all your listeners, all your views and subscribes. Have a great, great rest of the evening. I'm out.